Hey there, welcome back to the Garage Bill Podcast. I am your willing and able host, Mr. Jason Hallman. Hey, listen, are you still wearing Dickies, Red Cap? You still wearing the? Are you still wearing the Walmart brands? Are you? Hey, listen, go to 1620 USA. We've got a good partnership with them. We've been with them about three and a half years now. You're not going to get a better made, higher quality workwear that's designed to work with you, not against you. No brining, no break-in period, none of that stuff. Lifetime guarantee. Go to 1620 USA. Tell them we sent you there. You get what you pay for with 1620 USA. Use the code SPEED23. We're still using SPEED23 for our discount code. You're going to save 10% at checkout. And uh, listen, they've got t-shirts. They've got double knee work pants. They've got utility pants. They've got just about everything you need for any kind of weather. They've got shorts. Um, it's still winter in a lot of places here in the States. Uh, it's been cold here in Florida. But at any rate, go check them out. 1620USA. Um, they've been a great partner for the Garage Built podcast for such a long time. I'm so thankful for them, and uh, we need to support who supports us. Um, we've got a lot of things coming up. Daytona's in like two weeks, and uh, this episode is with a good friend of mine, Fish from Alleyway Customs. We filmed this or recorded this uh, on location at the Combat Hero Bike Fest last uh, last month, and uh, there's a couple technical difficulties in it. I'm not going to be. Uh, I'm going to be completely transparent with you working out some of the stuff when we do this on the road it's not as easy as when we do it in the studio but at any rate lots of good stuff he talks about hanging out with gene winfield and learning painting and uh hanging out with boosted brad and uh, some of the new stuff that he's got coming out and so i'm just glad you guys are still with us here and uh i give you james elkhorn also known as fish aka fish from alleyway customs he's our guest today on the garage built podcast Entertainer, trying to pursue a coffee sponsorship. You're going to get a coffee sponsorship. I'd like to. I got to make sure that they breaking the bank with the coffee lately. That's good. That's bad. Text, Dustin. Here we go. Here we go. Good. It's working. All right. All right. What you got? You get you some Arnold Palmer half and half light. Yeah. I wanted a cup of coffee, but that's not the type of gas station you get coffee from. No. No. <laughs> they had a whole fried section. Have you been up there? Fried. It was, it was fried delicious. coffee? Not fried coffee, oh. fried gizzards. Oh, yeah, no. I don't do that. It's like the further the you get in from the coastline in Florida, the lower the the the, the mean IQ is. I went, and, and the more the fried, the food is fried. <laughs> hey, I, I went with two corn dogs to be sick. It's like, have you ever gone? I mean, I'm sure you, maybe this place had it. It's like when you go to a gas station that has an eatery and they haven't... Um, they haven't changed the fry grease in a while. And there's oh, yeah. that certain je ne sais quoi. Certain, certain flavor to it. Right? <laughs> um, thanks for 
taking the time to do this. Um, so we're in Bushnell me. for the inaugural uh, Combat Hero uh, Bike Fest. And so um, I appreciate you coming and doing that and bringing your beautiful, the, the green bike. Let's talk, let's start there with that. That one, I told you that I felt like that bike looked like Francine's younger brother that maybe smokes pot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that is uh, Brian Taylor's bike. He's from Charleston, South Carolina. Um, he named the bike Miss Mary after his grandmother. Okay. Who was a very uh, significant fig figure in his upbringing. Um, but yes, it's a lot like Francine. That would be like the base model. Basically, if we were to do a production line of Francine bikes, which I think it's a great running, riding motorcycle that would fit anybody. So we started, we only changed a couple things up, but a lot of the same uh, stance and parts, 21 inch front wheel, Springer 18 inch rear, rigid frame. Um, and it's just a good, comp solid combination. Do you get, you know? do you get, a, do you find yourself like, um, like I, I kind of like, comfort food you know like i'll watch this if i like a movie you know if it makes me laugh or it makes me happy or whatever i'll 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 go back to it right because yep. i know what yep. i'm getting right yep. and and i like new stuff too but i like to know what i'm getting mm -hmm. and so uh, i have a certain like I, i've never been able to do this but i i really appreciate builders that that can um create a style and then everything they do kind of moves from that style so I mean you have a certain kind of um, era of bikes that you kind of cater to you know it's more mm -hmm. of the the shovels the pans the knuckles yep. the flats and that yep, yep. but you still have the ability and somehow you pull it off to where those bikes aren't they they don't look like a bike that was built back then it, they're not a bike that was built back then but they look like they would have been a spaceship compared to some of the way the bikes are built back there. I mean, there just wasn't technology 65 no, years no. ago. You know what I mean? Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that uh, people like our style and don't think it's too, uh, not, not traditional, but that they've, you know, can, can accept it for what it is. And it's not too, too much of a variant from the, from the traditional style. You know what I mean? But, I think that was, that's kind of what I was trying to find the words to yeah. say was that, you know, when you look at your, whether you build a shovel head or a pan head, like Francine's a pan head, uh, the new bike. What would you say? What did you say the name of the new bike was? Miss Mary. Miss Mary. Okay, so it's got its own social media page. Does it? Nice. <laughs> yeah. He um, loves it. He loves it, and that's awesome. Yeah. No, that's what you yeah. want, right? I mean, ultimately, you want the customer to, to come away with something that they're very proud to have had built, very, yeah. very proud to, to, to maintain. But um, they haven't. They have that essence. They've got that alleyway, you know, carry through. Well, I the mean, cool thing about Brian is uh, has become. A a good friend of mine now um, but the cool thing about Brian is that we were able to have a conversation and I asked him I was like well, what colors do you like you want a red bike you want a blue bike you want a black bike white gold mm -hmm. all the main ones or do you want to do something out of the box because I always have some reference ideas that are I would do on my bike but maybe not on a customer's bike so right. to get a customer to bite on that and, and, and give you creative control on top of it and then uh, to attempt to execute it within their liking, I think, um, you know, that's what makes that bike unique, you know, because um, I pitched a couple different ideas in that particular. First of all, getting somebody to sign up for a green bike can be difficult at times with that little bit of superstition. Yeah. A mint green one with brown root beer flames 
is a hard sales pitch without a reference. So that was your that was your brainchild. That yep. was something that you came up with. Yeah, that was a color that I haven't seen. I always want to try to do something unique uh, or attempt to or do something different. Uh, you know, and that's that's a color I saw. I was like, oh, you know, I haven't seen. Not, I'm sure that color's been done, but I haven't. There's not one of those. That's out there well, that, yeah. That, so if you told me like, hey. Uh, Tell me a blue bike that you remember. Like everybody, right, right. everybody, you know, there's some standout blue bikes like Jesse Sturgis special, right? Yeah, or, yeah. you know, um, yeah, but you're right, like a mint green bike or flame bike. Like, you you know, flames, you automatically go to something that maybe Dave's done. Sure. You know. Well, that, you know, and, and to have be able to have that conversation with a customer where, you know, I, I don't know which one of us said it, but I was like, well, you want it to be, you know, whatever kind of biker, do you want to make a decision like this that's so bold that people will be like, oh, that's that bike. That's that yeah. bike that I have seen all over social media and whatever. And sure enough, the first show we showed it at the congregation show, it blew up. Yeah. It was there's a way to pinch a color from, from the color palette and kind of make it persona non grata for everybody else for a little while. You know? and, and, and Brian also... We saw eye to eye on, on everything about it. I haven't done a bike with brass accents mm -hmm. since the first shovel that launched Alleyway 12 years ago, you know? So it was nice to, to be able to revisit that again with new skill sets and different stuff, be able to make the grips for it. And, um, you know, already know kind of what you have in the quiver with it to make it mm -hmm. easier. And you didn't have to relearn a whole lot of stuff, but also be able to play off a lot of the stuff that I do within the paint I like to manip manip manipulate some basic colors with different pearls, and I have several gold pearls that I use. So, like the the graphic panel shading is done with a bronze pearl. The overall pearl on the green is done with a lighter browner gold pearl. So you get all that within it, and, it, and when it all comes together, and um, you know, but th that bike morphed along the way through building it, where it was supposed to be a little more again back onto the baseline. And it grew out of that after we started making stuff out of stainless, and now it, that bike doesn't have one stock bracket on it. And everything is made out of stainless that we could. All it has your it has your foot control, and yeah, the, the stainless exhaust and stuff. Yeah. Um, alleyway has moved in the last couple of years. You've really gravitated towards. You have a you've got a, a good cohesive relationship with an American clothing company, sixteen twenty mm -hmm. USA, mm -hmm. and so you're repping them. They're repping you. It, plays well into your brand and it fits really well it's the hard working you know kind of kind of thing um you've also moved into uh you're producing a significant number of, of your own proprietary parts when you talk us through some of your parts line and where the start was uh where you're at now and kind of where you think you're going the start uh start began with francine you know with all the parts that we made in-house all the the cast lights and foot pegs and all that um was that and, done on a necessity, or was it just like, listen, I can't find what I want, or I don't, I... Well, that, back, you know, back to that competition that I, I spoke about multiple times, the People's Champ thing for, for Born Free, is that uh, you're constantly pushing the envelope to see what you can do, because it is a competition. You're trying to outdo the, the people that are in that with you, so the more stuff you make by hand, the crazier it gets, so that's one of the things we dabbled in there, and um, with the help of some other people, we pulled it off, but everyone liked it, especially the, the headlight and taillight, and it took three years to kind of try to make all that happen where it's a little bit of a minimal machine that we can get to work. So we reproduced um, a version of that headlight that's a singular, not dual like Francine is. 
Um, the taillight's been a winner, so we kept that the same, the egg shape. And then once we kind of got up to speed finally, um, we started kind of trying to do all the other ideas that, that, that we had, you know. And uh, on Miss Mary, bent up some stainless handlebars. So now we produce those, which are a variation of the bars on Francine. They're just a little bit taller. They're like in between an eight inch tall ape and a, a low ride, uh, I believe it's a number 14 knucklehead bar or a Flanders uh, bar. Um, so we do those, um, series of lights and then the foot controls um, came from Tom's pan shovel. The ones that are kind of a little bit like an Aladdin shoe. So those are for slab motors, generator only, but then we converted those to be for cone motors, shovels, and evolution cone motors. So those all work um, for a hydraulic brake setup with your choice of master cylinders. And, uh, you know, they're a further forward mid was the reason why we wanted to put, there's a ton of foot controls out there. Yeah. But at that time that those controls were, were conceived, um, I feel like we were one of the first people to say, hey, well, if you're six foot one and you sit on one of these old bikes with mid controls, it feels like your feet are under you and you're pushing forward and you're not sitting on top like in control. And you, you need that, that's a small frame for a big person. It you is, know? yeah, that, that frame, it does fit a lot of different people, but it doesn't fit everybody the same. No, and this way it takes, instead of having a, a full forward control, you're in between which we found to be very comfortable and a lot of people liked it, so we started producing those. But uh, the parts thing's been very challenging. Um, we still do uh, all of the design and development. We, we cast those or manually mill or machine those out of blocks of billet. Are you, are you doing any design work in CAD or is, is, this, is this is old school This drafting. is old, old school, old school drafting where um, I might make it out of a block of wood. For example, the new ones we did um, where uh, we haven't really announced any of this, but I'll, we'll talk to everybody about it now. Um, we're doing a collaboration with the Born Free Builder, Jason Ochoa from Texas. Uh, everybody knows of him on social media as Moto Psycho. Um, he's building a bike for Born Free this year, and he contacted me when he saw the... Uh, I had met him when we went out to Born Free, and uh, I met him in Daytona once as well. Super nice guy, um, and I like the style of bikes he builds. So he inquired about some of the round oval lights, but said that what he really was liking. He's building kind of a digger style bike with a, uh, a diamond coffin kind of style tank. Mm -hmm. He said he really wanted diamond lights and really wanted to talk about us designing them for him. I said, well, uh, we're getting together a new bike and I'm going to do a coffin style tank as well. So I'd want to set for mine. So this would be worthwhile to do it. You okay. know? And so we ultimately decided to uh, make those lights, headlight and taillight, kind of a signature series for him. So there'll be his company's uh, Four Speed Mayhem. Okay. Uh, so we did in the lens, Chris did a, a laser engraving with his logo at the top and the alleyway at the bottom. And uh, they're a real clean, flat, small diamond light. And uh, all of our lights, by the way, have uh, 1260 lumens. They have an optic in the lens uh, that actually projects light correctly. Um, so you're talking about the headlight or are you talking the, about the, the taillight? Headlight. The headlight, okay, the headlight. yeah. The taillight's it's an LED. It's critical. I mean, yeah. it's critical that you produce the correct color of lighting and the correct, you know, the correct power too. Yeah, well, you know, and it is um, novelty chopper stuff, um, but, you know, I wanted to do a little bit better than 
is, is novelty the right? I always think of novelty as a pejorative term, like meaning like, oh, it's a novelty. It's it's a knockoff. It's a, it's not. It's a, it's really this is these are these are um, more heirloom quality type motorcycle parts. I mean, these are these are probably going to be the kind of parts that somebody's going to pick up one. 20 years from now to swap me and go, holy shit, this, we is, hope so. we hope this so. is one of those motorcycle lights that, that, that Alleyway yeah. did, and they're gonna, there's a story. Um, Small runs of them. Yeah, too, you, you, know? you mentioned Born Free and, and Francine, and, and that was, I feel like there was a group of people, and, and it was the group of people that were involved in Born Free that year, especially the builders uh, outside of California that really were dealt a, a challenge because of COVID and because of restrictions and because of all the other things that happened in that space, how do you how do you feel like you fared? Do, do you think that would have went differently if if people could have been in the traditional space that they that, that they were prior to that? Because didn't that go? Didn't that wasn't that largely handled online and? Yeah, well, it went from being that competition was always judged in person with a ballot box at Cook's Corner. Friday night, the night before Born Free, okay, which is an awesome night and an awesome party. Yeah, um, whether it would have been a true uh, physical ballot uh, decision, it, it doesn't really. No, I don't. I don't mean like did your did, would your bike would have absolutely won. I don't mean that. I mean like, how do you think that that do you think that affected the outcome for everybody and in, in the, the kind of the enthusiasm and the the rigor that people would go through to, to participate in those types of things. COVID? Yeah, I mean, just um, in general. I yeah, mean, that, yeah. partic- that show seemed to be suffer more than all the other shows. Um, yeah, well, because it went all to an online thing, which um, the blessing in that and the, posit- the positive thing about that is that it, it teaches each person that gets involved in that competition how to promote your business on social yeah. media. Um, it teaches you how to act right. You know, you at that point, your your name's in the hat, and if you choose to get on social media or otherwise and be, uh, you know, say things that that could be detrimental to how you could possibly have a future in the company, you could shoot yourself in the foot. So there's a lot of things that that teach you how to be professional in doing that. You know, there's a um, couple companies that do a good job of crossing over between both uh, guys like uh, Mikey and Chip at San Diego Customs, mm-hmm. right? They're very present and accounted for in that born free space, even though they're not traditional. They may be traditional chopper guys in that they've mm-hmm. been around for a long time, but they're right. they're widely known for FXRs and Dynas and performance bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you how do you feel about the crossover as far as you know? I know that you've had some performance bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, they've had that that alleyway kind of panache to them mm-hmm. and the paint and mm-hmm. that and that's one advantage I think that you have in a, over a lot of other builders is you can make something, you know, that's kind of the uh, homogenization of, of old versus new is you, you have the ability to do that in the paint. Yeah, you know, I, I so, purposely want them to not have an expected paint job on them. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, I like to do a variation of, uh, first of all, I love FXRs and Dynas. Uh, we're about to build one of each. It's mm-hmm. going to be the beginning of this year. Uh, we're building a 1990 FXR for Brian Taylor okay. that did, we did the Miss Mary bike for. And then another guy, Marcus, that's here with me today, we're uh, doing a 2016 Street Bob makeover. To, basically, we're going to make it into a Super Glide. Okay. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so mid I, controls. I, yeah, mid, mid controls. We'll do some sort. I think we're doing a, a T Sport 
knockoff fairing, just the the standard club sure, style. Sure, I understand. You know, bags, uh, legend suspension, uh, possibly some motor upgrades, and then the good thing about that bike is it's so uh, so far gone. It needs a full tear down to frame. So we can kind of go to the extreme. We haven't been able to go to um, in the past and, and do the frame a specific color that we can sure. coordinate. Yeah, you know, um, that changes the look of a bike. I mean, that, that unilaterally is painted um that right there to me gives it it's a custom bike yeah that every nut yeah. every bolt has been put on by uh you, you can't just not in not in a, in a non-manufactured situation yeah you can't just go buy a bunch of parts and and you know i, I don't want to knock anybody that does no that no because, i'm not i've not, done it many times yeah but that's it makes it different it, it's than. any bike i mean you know you look around a room like the room in the room right now and especially tomorrow when when it's filled up and you see a bike that um, has a lot of things bolted onto it. Mm -hmm. Two identical bikes, one with a painted frame, one, one with a factory painted frame. There's, I, 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 I think it was difficult to to beat the one with the with the painted frame. Yeah. Well, the, you know, there's a lot that goes into that trying to get the harness back on correctly. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I, you know, there was when, when I did that um, FXRP for Jeff Brown that frame up bike, I, I realized how much really goes into it and um, a, a lot about what why people are so passionate about FXRs and, and doing frame up FXRs like that because it, it is different, it is a built bike. Yeah, now yeah. you're responsible for the, the lateral side to side alignment of the, frame, of mm -hmm. the engine mm -hmm. and the engine's connected to the, to the transmission which is connected to the swing arm so you have this unit piece that if it's not right, the bike's yeah. not going to track. Yeah. It's, it's not going to handle well, so it's, yeah. it's. A, but getting back to the born free thing, I just kind of want to touch on that a little bit because that was a big that that year was a very big year for Alleyway. It could have been a much bigger year. I I just feel like having had so many things stripped from us, um, the ability to just freely move about and have the kind of um, events and, and things that we had, I feel like there would have been much different outcome, not only for Alleywood, but for, for the event itself. I feel like it... it yeah, it, it definitely changed a lot of the freedom of uh, of what goes on in, you know, in, in, the, in the world now with everything, you know, but um, I, I felt a different, not that I was there years before, but it was a different, different kind of vibe. And I don't know, maybe it wasn't as open as, as bike shows previously and uh, you know. How much of that do you attribute to younger people coming and trying to, like, so I was talking with Dick uh, last night, and we were talking, and I was like, hey, how did you and Arlen, like, if you're in Massachusetts, and Arlen's in California, and it's 1977, and the internet exists, and text messaging doesn't exist, and I can remember my parents bitching if I made a long-distance phone call, it's yeah. expensive, yep. and so... How did you, hey, can you help me with this? Or, hey, look at what I'm doing. You know, mm -hmm. how did you guys do that? And he said it was, it was event-based, right? Yeah. I knew what he was doing on the phone. I would call you and say, hey, you know, bitch, I'm doing this. I'm blah, 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 and you're like, no shit, that's crazy. I, I can't even picture that. Like, right. oh, well, you just wait till you see it. Because yeah. that's what you, that was the only option you had. Right, right. So you go to an event, and then you get to see it. And it, it was, you know. It's a different impact. Well, so now kids, like, if I go do something, you know, I can do it. Anyone can do it. But 
guys that are kids in this industry, they do something cool, and as soon as they do that cool thing, it's up on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Like they're they're on to the next thing, and they haven't even sat down and thought about what it took them to get the cool thing they just did. I just feel like that it's, everything just has to be so fast. And, and well, you know, I had a different perspective of that recently, and, and I like it. You like how fast I, I, I like it because it keeps you on your toes. For example, you and I spoke on the phone a couple different times about uh, the aluminum tanks that I was doing on the death yeah. machine and uh, putting in time to hone aluminum welding skills and get the skill set, skill set together to, we can all cut the pieces of metal. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, but to weld them all up and not blow it out, have, have good clean welds that hopefully will not leak and right. all that stuff. In the time period that you and I have had that conversation, there are two other aluminum tanks going on like that. Right. So you're so, allowing you to push yourself through. I mean, you know, from my perspective, I'm not saying that I was copied in doing that because, the, you know, there's no really original ideas or whatever. Oh, I get what you're saying. But, but what I'm saying is for the, t for the time period, right. if that is what on in social media and parts and motorcycles are being built and we can all become aware of what the other people are doing if you are you know not making a competition out of it or whatever but you know you want to you want to when you showcase a new bike you want to bring something out and uh and be proud of what you do and, and, and become unique you got to keep coming up with good new constant ideas yeah, you know the, how many ideas don't come to full fruition because you didn't give them the amount of time that they deserve to, to really hunker down and learn I'll, I'll give you an example let's say that you know you, you create the aluminum tank and you're welding it but and it welds and you get it together and you don't run into any issues but it doesn't look as good as the next tank's going to be right and the next tank's going to be mm -hmm. and the next tank's going to be yeah so do you stop making aluminum tanks because i already did that or do the next one that's aluminum are the are the are the the, the welds stacked but you know what i'm saying sure like, I mean, sure yeah you, you don't want to i think people get the opposite of imposter syndrome like there's the imposter syndrome you know what that is right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so there's i don't know what to call it but the opposite of that would be like well i've already done that i don't need to do that anymore i've already got i've already seen that i don't need to see that anymore i've already yeah. got you know what i mean it's like well, well if you don't have it down pat then i know this because in dabbling in so many different you know uh stuff that we do to the bikes when you go to revisit that that you haven't put all the time in it's not very good the next time you do yeah <laughs> you know i i, I know uh it spends a lot of time bringing st stuff back up to speed including the aluminum welding and i actually have a couple seats that i got to upholster traditional upholstery I haven't touched that in probably five years so you're gonna you're gonna be using the sewing machine again yep less no, of the no. hand stitching and yeah yeah, well, I got to do a seat on Chris Rosenberg's Iron Head Chopper, King and Queen. Um, there's another bike that I have to, you know, make a good go at that again. But, you know, if you don't put the time in and you move too quick, then next go around. But I don't weld any aluminum. To, to do that tank, I had to actively weld aluminum several times a week. I did it two hours, two hours a morning, three to, three to four times a week with little exercises and cutting pieces. Hell, I still, there's areas that need to be touched up on that and I'm gonna make some pieces. <laughs> Go ahead and make sure your amperage is right and fire up a little bit, because it's, it's just that tricky and... and uh, what was know. the biggest barrier? Um, well, once, 
once you got past where you could actually run beads correctly mm -hmm. uh, and made sure everything was clean, uh, certain areas, for example, I felt like the flat panels that were like this as opposed to the 90 degree corners, which I forget what those are called. All the 90s or stuff that was closer to the sharper 90, yeah. welded like a dream. Okay. The flat areas, of course, on top of the tank. Sure, yeah, right. <laughs> were, were trickier to keep a proper amount of, uh, of filler going into them. And then the starting and the stopping, you know, it's to, to make it look like, you know, that's the other thing about all the internet and social media. You're, you finish, somebody, we were talking about this the other day at the shop, and when you finish, when you finish a product that you're put time into and you're really proud of, uh, usually welding, and you're like, oh man, that looks great. And then your only example to compare that to is something that was laser done on social media. It's hard to not get defeated by yeah. that, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's something about welded aluminum that's just so elegant. I love it now. Yeah. You know, and I feel like it's it's made, uh, um, it was good time invested because I feel like um, it helped out welding stainless and regular steel, you know. When, when you build a tank, let's say you come up with a new tank design, mm -hmm. right? Do you, build, uh, do you build a buck out of wood? Or are you building pat or do you make one and then make patterns off it? How, what is your process? What is your creative process? Um, well, I've, I've never done a round tank. That's, a, that's the only one. The, the aluminum that, tank's the only one? Mm -hmm. So the tank that's on Miss Mary and Francine, are, those are commercially available tanks? That I cut up. Okay. Like, like Francine's tank is, um, it's an alien okay. tank that I sectioned a pie wedge out of. Okay. That's why it's got a peak in the side. Okay. And then I cut the tunnel out. So, I mean, it's heavily manipulated, but um, I truthfully, I've, I've never hammered out a piece of sheet metal and used a buck to make. Because um, until I found a tank shape that I like, like that one, in doing traditional style choppers like you're talking about, I feel like they look good with a Wassel tank on it, or a Sportster tank on it, and I don't. I don't want to make a tank that. Would I never make understood it look making a tank that looked like somebody else's tank. Like I never understood. Yeah. Like Jesse James did that, and I'm not knocking him. I'm just saying I'm making a comment that he did. Like, he did that uh, Church of Choppers or Metal Church or one of those things, and he showed you how to build a Sportster tank, and I was like, Why not just yeah. buy it? if you, that's what you want? Like, buy the Sportster tank. Yeah. Like, let's come up, like his villain tank, you know, if you remember Motorcycle I, yeah. Mania 1, had, out of aluminum. Yeah. God, what a beauty, that is, a, to me, that that is one of those motorcycle parts that was a perfect part, perfectly placed, as far as the timeline of choppers, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. And uh, looks like a villain tank, no matter what bike it's on, and no matter how far it's modified. Mm -hmm. And I can think of some of the greatest bikes that have, that have had that tank on there. Yeah. And I and and I can you know I've I've had one forever where I'm, I set it on every one of every bike I build to see, yeah. and it doesn't it doesn't work on every bike. Mm -hmm. But every bike that it's on, you know the, the bikes that it's on, it's part of it's part of what makes that bike. That bike. Yeah. Well, here's here's a story about the doing the death machine tank, um, in stretching that frame. I wanted to take advantage. First of all, that motor needs fuel, and it was starving for fuel with a smaller tank on it before. So I wanted to try to, you know, exercise some ideas that, that might give it some more fuel. So I I built a whole other tank like that, that's about two and a half inches longer and bigger, 
and it was on the bike the first day. Had it all tacked together. And I looked at it and I was like, wow, I just did Shaq's bike. <laughs> Pulled the whole bike is, and I, same with the handlebars. The handlebars had an eight to 10 inch rise, which were, I didn't mind them. They were high. They, the further you go back in that, I think it's a 39 degree rake, the further you go back, the more you can reach them. Same thing, I looked back and I was like, the whole bike is huge now. Everything's huge. And I'm 6'1", so that, that works, but yeah. it took the focus off the front end. Well, and, and that's at Denver's? Yeah. I mean... 16 over. That's, a, that's one of those motorcycle parts that you build an entire motorcycle around. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm saying. It's like, mm -hmm. so where did the inspiration from the death machine come from when you look at when you look at what you're historically known for, right? Mm -hmm. You're historically known for uh, spot-on restorations, mm -hmm. um, spot-on period correct hot rod motorcycles, and then your own version of hot rod motorcycles. Like I said, that like I started on the front, like Miss Mary and Francine. If the, if you saw them in the background of a picture in Easy Rider in 1971, or next to a car in Carcraft magazine in yeah. the background in 58 or 59. You go, oh god, man, that's a cool, that's a great bike, and you, it could be period correct, right? But you can't, you can't say that bike's a fifty-eight, a fifty-nine. Like, you, sure. you just can't. It's an alleyway. And, and so where, did the, where did the death machine? Like, where did you go? Like, okay, I've got a, I've got to completely do a one eighty. I've got, I mean, it's got well, a motor. Yeah, well, that, that's the cool thing about it, and and um, I'm, I'm kind of stuck to the bike, stuck with it. Um, because for sentimental reasons, multiple, I, I would never get rid of it. So. I kind of embraced the opportunity to be able to do some more modern stuff with it. And um, it had, and it's, that bike was a finished bike 12 years ago. It was in the Horseback Street Choppers. It was in uh, Biker England, and it had a four over Springer front end, um, ape hangers, disc brake on the front. It's got a 96 inch stroker motor, so you need every bit of braking power. But in the revamp, um, I didn't want to put a brake on that 16 over right. front end. So um, I just used the whole thing as an opportunity to kind of have a, build a modern modern bike with it, with an older twist on it and uh, dual, dual disc rear brake. Um, and then that's why it, it opened up the door to do the aluminum stuff, you know, because it's that tank is a throw off of a coffin tank. I was inspired by two different tanks, Japanese, tanks of friends of friends of mine over there that I didn't want to directly copy. Um, but I wanted to do a little bit of the swoop to just kind of take the standard square coffin I didn't think would complement the bike at all. And, um, you know, do a, a modern twist on old style. How do you feel, you just mentioned copying somebody um, recently, as recent as a couple days ago, uh, or a day ago, no, two days ago. Um, there is a, a, a pretty, a, a post that has gone around uh, regarding somebody that copied a, a very prolific motorcycle. I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. So, how, how are you, can you, can we explain that to people who listen that maybe don't understand where the, the vitriol comes from in that? Like, you know, obviously, you know, the original builder put in an exceptional amount of work, mm -hmm. created an exceptional machine. And um, the painter did an exceptionally unique paint job, mm -hmm. albeit appropriated from, from an, another motor.
but I mean, it was to pay homage to it, right? Right. And then you have somebody who um, appropriates Appropriate. parts of that build into their own build for, for personal gain. Like, can we explain why that's why that's wrong? I mean, I, we shouldn't uh, have to, but let's. Right. Uh, well, um, I believe that. Um, well, that took it too far. First of all, you can't just copy it that close. You know, I know a lot of people wouldn't want to want to hear that, but that, that was wrong. I mean, they ripped off the other bike, you know, straight up. Um, you know, I didn't put a lot of thought into it, but I, I couldn't imagine um, in the in the paint world. Um, it's been my understanding, being friends with some of the best painters in the country and in the world. Uh, and went to school, an informal school underneath a lot of them. Um, in the paint world, uh, you, you, if you post something, uh, uh, if, if you put a piece of your work out there, you have to state it was inspired by someone and state who that was. Right. That is a start of the correct way to do it. And that depends on how close you replicate someone else's paint. So I have customers come to me all the time, or I just recently did a paint job that was, I love these colors. Because you ask for a paint, you sure. ask for a reference. What do you like? You yeah. have to get a feel for it. But you can't rip somebody's work off like that. And you know, um, that, the motorcycle that, that we're talking about, um, you know, that, that was a very unique bike. And I don't care if, it, if the other reference came from motorsports, you can't put Cookie Monster or Oscar the Grouch painting on that bike and switch and take it out of motorsports, you still copied Oscar the Grouch. Yeah. Same colors. Yeah. Same deal. Same someone else's idea. That while it was from the motorsports era, but you know, that was still their twist on that for whatever reason it was done. But it was too much that was exactly the same. I think And I don't know why it was done, but it was you know Well so to me it was it was like okay I I get I get where you're going with it. You're not you didn't you didn't pull it off. It would be like uh, you know it happens. So the, the analogy somebody gave me is like, well, you know, bands go out and, and and play other people's music all the time, and they don't they don't pay for it, and they don't get permission for it. And it's like, okay, fair dues, and I and I don't have I don't have a uh, I don't have a good comeback to that. You know what I mean? I, you know, um, but to me, there's a difference between playing, you know, playing jump with your, you know, Van Halen's jump with your your garage band at Jimmy's Chicken Shack, right? And, or, is it or recording recording jump, your version of jump, and selling selling it, to, you know, at Jimmy's Chicken Shack on a on an MP3. Or, you understand what I'm? You kind of get where I'm going with that. Well, coming from a music background. Well, that's why I'm asking because you you right, a touring I, musician. I, I feel like the most flattering cover material is when an artist takes someone else's music and does it their style, and and, and it's good. So there's it, also it would, a residual paid to that mm -hmm, it, yep. through ASCAP and BMI yep. and, mm -hmm. and that. Like if you record it and make money off it, it's. Right. Yeah, that oh money's yeah. appropriated. Yeah, like, yeah. Correctly, well, there's paid, a system. At, at one time, I paid a certain amount of money to be able to sell a certain amount of copies of our version of Johnny Cash's Cocaine Blues that was on one of our records. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, you know, it, 
is it uh, that's like the ice ice baby queen yeah deal it's too close it's it's obvious it's, it's too close we have to argue it that hard it is too close it's too obvious yeah. and and uh, you know kudos to I mean that would have been hard for me to suck up yeah how do you how do you <laughs> how do you roll how does somebody roll and not to mention the fact that it's damn near impossible to completely reappropriate that. I mean, you could build another Francine, but could you build another exact Francine? You know, I don't know, right? So why why bother? Is what I'm getting at. You yeah. Know what I mean, it, like, um, it, who knows how that went went on? And it was shocking to see that that um, who it was, it was too. Yeah, I don't know who I'm, you. Who, no, what I'm saying, like the fact that that's the person whose work you reappropriate, you pick that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's not somebody that is yeah. is uh, is not known, not respected, not you know what I mean. Doesn't it's that he carries an extreme amount of weight in the industry. Yeah, right? I mean this is it's somebody that's a, a very important person over the last twenty five years. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, when you see somebody copy somebody's work like that, it's it's not okay. It's not. It, well, it's it's hard to imagine what the scenario was that would have made that appropriate yeah the only one the only one that would have been would have been a phone call to that individual with written permission or 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 why it needed to happen did you need the money did did you have to do that work for that customer right it it had to be that what what was the you know if you're an established person you know and, and i don't I don't want to get into bashing anybody on it. It's just, no, it's, it's we're kind, not talking about of, the individual. We're talking about the situation. It's, I mean, it's because it comes of, up a lot. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, you know, it does. And you know, every couple of years, it happens. Yeah. Well, you know, for example, uh, there was a paint job that um, I did on a different set of tins that was very similar to our friend Jace's, one of his paint jobs. And I called him. I was like, I've tried this six ways to Sunday, six ways to Sunday on trying to come up with some alternatives to what this customer wants. And this this is what's gonna make it happen. And and I'm gonna do this in a different form and, and I've wanted to talk to you about it and see if you would be okay with it. I'll give you credit for the original design. Like there was that whole physical conversation that happened over a phone call. Yeah. Before you know, I before I even felt comfortable doing it. Right. You know what I mean? And you know, I've been in a situation where I was working on a design team for a company. And we were doing a lot of big wheel bagger stuff and their customer, again, their customer wanted exactly like the photo reference. Yeah. I did it pretty similar and I didn't put it out on social media, but somebody did. And the people that did that, they were bummed out. And it, yeah. you know, and, it, and you, you learn, I mean, we make yeah. mistakes. You get right? yourself in some sticky situations, you know, but you try to handle them as, as appropriately as possible. But that particular situation we're talking about, that was a pretty extreme copy. You know, to the, to the level of accuracy and... Execution. And, and, and I mean, the execution wasn't as good as the original. In my opinion, I'm not trying to be biased because I'm buddies with the original person that produced the bike. But, man, at least do it justice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, um, was, that was tough to see, too. Yes, it is. Um, one of the, you mentioned about going to school and having, getting some, some, some training in, in custom painting stuff. You've trained with Gene Winfield. Not once, but 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 several twice. times, right? Twice. twice. Okay. Yeah. Why, tell us about that. I mean, that's got to be first off. This is this is this is not a legend. This is this is uh, uh, in the hot rodding world. This is somebody of biblical proportion. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're, there's 
and we don't have many left. I think he's no. probably it, right? Yeah. We lost Bill a couple of years ago. Yeah, all the all the customizers of his of his Barris era. is gone, and yeah. I know Barris gets credit for, for other people's work mm -hmm. too. He had a lot of people working for him, but I'm talking about Gene Winfield is is of biblical proportions in as far as who he is and stature in, in, in the hot rod industry. Yeah. What was it like working with him? And and tell us tell us this. You've told me some really good stories, and I'd like for um, you to share them. Well. I, Gene was an instructor at the Brushmasters Getaway in, I believe, 2018. And the, the good thing about Brushmasters class that was very informal with a lot of uh, the, the top names in the paint industry. One of the reasons why I went. Um, but the, the beauty of that is as much as I paid for a VIP package that was supposed to give you extra time or uh, more one-on-one -on -one time with different people. It, that was all thrown out the window and it was a free-for-all, but they were all very approachable. And if um, you were serious about the question asked, <coughs> you know. Sorry. Um, I've heard that across many different uh, areas. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Cody Childress did uh, several different like sheet metal classes. Mm -hmm. And there's these very different levels of the class. And I think they use that as a vetting process to find out what kind of people they have coming in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, hopefully if it's a policy like that, that you you extract what you need from that, that the value is there. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. maybe you pay yeah. a little bit extra, but you work hard, you can get the value out of that class. Yeah. Well, at, at that time, I, w I was really struggling trying to... Um, get good results with with the work that I was already in the middle of painting. I, I mean, I was painting for the dealership mm -hmm. when I went to that class. So I had um, a notebook paper um, and it was six or eight pages filled with these are just questions that I need to resolve different issues with chemical processes that were going on um, and things that I just didn't understand. Sure. And they were trying to cover a lot of ground at that class and figure out kind of how to approach the, the entire class that was of multiple different skill levels, you know, so they kind of separate and um, we did a lot of different stuff and, and Gene, uh, Gene's awesome. He's very nice. He's very blunt. Um, and he, he uh, spent a lot of time. He's a very, very nice person too, you know, as far as you walk up to him and whatever. But if, if you're going to get in you know, to try to learn some things. Um, you know, um, my, my experience was uh, we did, I'll try to kind of summarize it, we did, they gave us panels uh, that were already metal flaked and you had to wet sand them down to smooth. And then you did a graphic layout on them. Uh, and then they had some different candies up there, uh, multiple different, they had a big board. This is all under a tent and a farm. Okay. So making all that happen, they, they really did a pretty good job with, with trying to pull all that off. As much as we all kind of expected more and thought more, um, you know, I, I still like Corey. Um, he's, he's been great to me after class, and I have nothing bad to say about the whole experience. They, they really did pull off a lot. Um, but they had, you know, they, they were losing power. They, all kinds of different things were happening. But they had all these pallets set up, and they had all these different airbrushes. And they had all different colors of candy in them. So are you moving your panel to different easels? Uh, you can just kind of pick whatever, 
you yeah. know, and most people didn't really have a concept of, it was a candy concentrate mixed in there. So, and um, as a lot of people know, you can do a lot of different things with candies, airbrushing art and graphics with them. A candy's not gonna cover like if you put black in there. So the effects they were asking us to make out of some of this stuff were a little bit, uh, they were moving a little fast for what was going on with the class. But anyway, long story longer, um, they wanted you to do a tape layout, um, which fortunately I had full with a little bit more. And um, as we spoke about before, Boosted Brad was kind of, yeah. we, we teamed up in that class and became friends and, and kind of worked next to each other all the days and it was super fun. But he's real serious about when he does things too. You're not oh, getting, yeah. you're not dealing with a partier at all. Like he's, no, 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 no. We were both very, very serious. He's very there, laser focused on there, there his was, craft. There was no drinking. There he's was no such partying. a good painter. Yeah, he. Uh, I didn't even know him, and he, he had given me a ride back and forth to this from our hotel, and <clears> we were both kind of lost trying to figure out what to do. And I was very fortunate that he helped me with all that stuff. But anyway, um, we laid out these panels, and I shot a couple colors on them. We leave for the night because that kind of carried on to everybody drinking and sure. painting all night, which was cool, it was organic, it was fun. We come back the next day and um, me and Brad uh, are standing there. I see Gene sitting over at a table and uh, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go talk to him. You know? And there was an itinerary of a schedule that was supposed to happen each day and it was running late and there was different instructors. Um, so we were kind of sitting down and um, I walked up to him and I said, hey, Mr. Winfield, um, here's, here's my name, was, uh, you know, followed what you do for a long time and I'm glad you're here and it's great whatever and he goes uh, so well, let me let me let me let me see your panel what are, what are we doing because we're like oh we don't really know what we're doing today and he goes well where's your panel I go well we've left it in the truck because I thought we were doing a pinstriping class instead of a panel class and he goes well go get it hmm. and I'd never met him you know and I go get it and he looks it over and he basically said in short terms pretty good but what what, what, are, what are we going to do he goes, go get that tape over there. You know, so he was just kind of hard knocks, like, oh, you want to learn? I'm going to boss you around a little bit till you, yeah. get it, till you get it right. And, but I'm being stern, but you got to trust me. So he helped me lay out a little bit more of it. And then we went up and he taught me how to do his signature fade in a, in a miniature form, you know. Well, not that I'm sure he's done it on everything, but generally that's done on you know bottom of a yeah, car. Yeah, bottom of a Mercury or something. Bottom yeah. of a car, or if it's a square body car, you might do the edge of like a 60s or 70s car, you know, but he actually walked me through it and showed me how to do that, that fade, you know, and, and, and he's awesome. And, uh, you know, we kept pestering him throughout the day and we sat, me and Brad sat with him uh, behind his merch table and some other guys knew he was gonna be there. So some car guys showed up with their cars and they're like, Hey, will you come check out my 54 Chevy that I chopped? So he goes to walk off and uh, he goes, well, you know what to do. Just sell whatever and give me the money. And walks off on Me and Brad were like, uh, uh, oh, shit, you know. And he came back and we, he literally sat there with me and Brad and, and we, we got to ask him any question we could come up with. And he did some hand drawings of how to do um, a lot of stuff that's like in his wheelhouse. Did he give you that stuff? Yeah. You I, have I, that? I have it all at the, at the shop framed and he signed it all. And, nice. You know, how to, how to make, before before you could buy tools at Eastwood, body right. tools, he, he was showing us how to make tools out of the bottom of pallets back in the day were oak because they were harder and they would take the, the heavier, whatever was palletized and you would take those and he showed how to cut the shapes out of them for how to make like a slap hammer yeah. that wouldn't break and, and different stuff like that. So yeah, it was cool to have all those notes. And then 
Later on, I took a metal shaping class with them that unfortunately got cut short. That was down uh, somewhere around here in Central Florida. But uh, Gene was really, really sick. Um, and he was actually, the, the second day got canceled and he was hospitalized. But um, yeah, I went in to take the class and I walked up and asked him if he remembered me. And he was like, yeah, go grab that grinder, roll out an extension cord. He immediately put me to work in front of the whole class, <laughs> which was kind of messed up because the dude putting the class on, his son was supposed to get a bunch of one-on-one -on -one time with Gene. And I don't think he knew that. And uh, Gene and I immediately started working together. We were, he was teaching us how to cut a propane tank in half and basically make a round dolly that gives you a bunch of different edges and shapes that you could, you could hammer form with. And uh, I, I backed off and let Sure. Son, yeah. like do do his thing, but it was great to you know that to be to be remembered and spend a little more time with them. And um, Is, he's you know. close to a hundred, isn't he? <sighs> Don't quote me, but it seemed like he was ninety-two a couple years ago. Yeah. You know, and uh, Bill Hines. That was the other Bill guy Hines, yep. that we lost. It was Bill cigar. Hines. Yep. Um, is Larry Watson still alive? I, I don't know who that is. I, so Larry Watson. My car knowledge is um, more. Uh, 1980 forward, and yeah, it's right, more right. it's more race driven, right? right? It's it's not it's not. Um, now Larry Watson looked like uh, a 70s guy. He had a mustache, wore big glasses, but he he was another famous car customizer from back in the day. But I I want to say Gene's the only one uh, left. There's um, Cuddy Noteboom is, st is still. Um, but he's our age though. His dad. Oh, his, his dad. His dad, Bones. Okay, yeah. Because I saw pictures of him. And he's, he's yeah, and Bones was uh, much older than, like, he had kids late, I think. I think yeah, Cuddy, he yeah. had Cuddy late. Yeah, he, he's, he's, he's still alive, though, but, but Gene's still, he was just a moon eyes Japan. So I heard they're not doing that anymore. Is that true? I don't, I don't know the scoop. I don't know the scoop. That's one of those, I don't have, like, this bucket list things that, we, that I want to do, but... That's definitely on a, on a short list of, I don't have a big desire to go around Asia. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to go well, to Japan. You know, the Moon Eyes is the, is the pinnacle of uh, car and bike customization. Yeah, because and, they appreciate it so much. If you, if you look at, I look forward to the, the documentation of it every year, because if, if you look at the work and, and study the work of what the builders or motorcycle builders are doing over there, it is, it is light years ahead of some of what is considered the best in the U.S. I don't want to insult anybody or anything, but but they take it. No, so their engineering, seriously. the engineering approach that they take to it, is, yeah, is like a it's just mathematical a, or scientific problem, pro, you know. Yeah, well, well, for for example, tagging your 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 gas tank with a company logo. It was neck badges a few years ago, and everybody kind of got wise to having their own brass neck badge. Right stuff produced and with technology but now a lot of the stuff that go that they did with gas tanks is one of the few things this year but doing a recess in a steel gas tank with a machined plate made i don't even know how, how it might or might not have been made but have the forethought of that is what represents your motorcycle yeah. the, the displays the displays are out of control yeah. A couple of days to set that other, bringing in leaves and this whole thing that looks like a, you walked into some backyard in Utah. <laughs> right. Seri with, with all, like, the, like the background. It's like a living diorama, but yeah, it's somehow yeah. they're coming up with uh, yeah, maple trees and oak trees. It's not just...